Are your red? Are your record buttons red? Yes. Mm-hmm. Are you sure, Justin? Let me look. Yes, it is red. Are you sure one of your sound pads isn't red and it's confusing you? <laughs> oh shit! Hey, can we start over? Let's see. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I'm kidding. You wasted I'm a whole kidding. 25 seconds. <laughs> I think the last one when we did that though, you. I think we were 12 minutes in. You were like, you didn't hit record. Oh no. <laughs> The whole, it was the whole beginning, like the whole Jastin, sing me a song, that thing. Yeah. It was the whole beginning. And it fucked him up too, because I changed what type of song I asked him to sing on the second one. I was like, oh, we're not rehashing shit. <laughs> Even my cat's mad at you about that. All right. So Jastin, today, sing me a song that takes the respective artist out of their comfort zone with their song choice. Hmm. A song that takes the perspective artist. Wow. Uh, what if? I have no clue. I have you. I have stumped. <laughs> I thought you could have at least sang one of those like pop goes punk covers or some shit. I have nothing. I have absolutely nothing. All right, Heather, <laughs> your turn. Try. <laughs> Honestly, the first thing that came to mind when you said that was when Taylor Swift started doing pop music and she did Trouble. And like she completely changed her sound. And that is the first thing I thought of when you said going out of your comfort zone. And Heather didn't follow the like rules I, either. So I feel like if I too. sing it, people will stop listening. It's so, too late. So you I'm didn't saving sing it, our listeners. So it doesn't count. I beat both of you guys. But you didn't even, oh. you didn't even do anything. <laughs> That's the whole point is I, I, pro, I propose the song topic. And if you don't do it, if you don't sing a song, I win. Then you win. Got it. Okay. I mean, come on. Trying to act like you don't know the rules this far into it all. (laughs) I'm just saying, (laughs) at least the idea of it makes sense of what I said. But you didn't sing it. I didn't say, hey, Justin, just name a song. Nope. Got to sing it or it doesn't count. But Justin's the singer here, you know? It doesn't matter. (laughs) Hey, my record is still strong. I think I'm like 48 and 7 or something. No, 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 Justin. <laughs> you don't know how records work. You beat me like four times ever. <laughs> I wonder if actually somebody went back and listened to all just the little beginning things since we started doing that. And I don't even remember how long we've been doing that. But I wonder if... We should do like a compilation or like in the, you know, like the gag reel thing that we were going to do or the whatever. We should do all of them. So, yeah, we were going to do gag reels and stuff like that. Then I just started leaving it all in the recording. <laughs> I did every time because it would be me messing <laughs> that up. That is the, true. It'd be me messing up the intros like 90,000 times. And then I just stopped giving a fuck and would just mess up and then just correct myself because I'm lazy. So on that <laughs> note, as the champion, let's start the episode. Hey, Cinefans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I am Sterling, and as always, I am joined by Heather and Justin, and we are doing a very uh, different topic this week, and since I don't know how the fuck to really explain it, I'm going to make Justin do it, and he has no idea I was going to kick it to him. So, Justin, explain what the fuck we're doing. Wow. Yeah, that was just out of nowhere. Well, today's episode 
is what I would like to call comfort slayers. And what does that mean? We're slaying comfort today. So that means that we are taking actors, actresses, filmmakers, and we're taking them out of their comfort zone and putting them in kind of a wish list scenario of things that we would like to see them do. So what we like to see somebody who normally doesn't do a Pixar film like a filmmaker like Scorsese or something do a Pixar film. Would we like to see an actor or actress play a role or a character that they've never played before because you think that they might have the acting chops to do it. So that's what we're doing. We're using our imagination. We're taking uh, people that we like, filmmakers that we like, out of their comfort zone and putting them in another project and trying to predict, or at least, at the very least, it's wishful thinking. And we're hoping that they will be able to nail these projects because we love them. So that, my friends, is comfort slave. You say comfort slayers, and all I think about is fuck your couch. (laughs) Charlie Muffet. I mean, yeah, I thought like with comfort slayers, when you say that, I'm like, are we just going to rate our favorite types of mattresses that we like to watch movies in bed in? (laughs) Or what makes us most comfortable while watching a movie? (laughs) Or to me, it's it almost sounds like like you're taking your favorite couch and destroying it or your favorite furniture and like chopping it up or something you know come slaying the comfort you know what i mean it was either that or just the slayers talking about what makes them comfortable yeah okay i got you i got you a good one too but no we're doing whatever the fuck justin said um so in honor of justin being the one that has kind of more or less suggested this topic and explained it to you um heather go first okay so I didn't expect that either. You're just throwing all kinds of curveballs. <laughs> I'm just wondering, yeah. Justin, if you want to go first, go ahead. I don't really give a shit. Oh, I just thought it would be funny yeah, to Justin, do that. Justin, you set the, set the example, please. Okay. All right. So you're going to have to uh, follow me here for this one. So uh, the first person I picked was uh, Spike Lee. And so I was thinking, what is something that I would like to see him tackle? And I think I came up with something pretty cool. So I would like to see Spike Lee do a Western film. Now, I know you're like, what? Why would he do that now? But follow me here for a second. Not just any Western film. I'm not talking about something like uh, like your Clint Eastwood or something like that. What I'm talking about, though, is I'd like to see him do a black Western film that kind of talks about something that is kind of forgotten in the whole cowboy history, and that's black cowboys. Um, I think that that would be something cool for Spike Lee. Spike Lee is a director that all, that, that loves to do, obviously, he's an African-American filmmaker, and he loves to do stories that talk about black history, um, African-American history, and things like that. And he likes to kind of dig through the cracks and find those stories that people don't often talk about, but he talks about them in bold, or, or maybe they are talked about, but he really covers them in a, in a bold and concise way. So I would love to see him 
Talk about the history of black cowboys, where they came from, the fact that they are kind of this forgotten piece of history that you don't hear much about. I would also love to see him cover a guy, a marshal, that was actually instrumental in Cowboy Times named Bass Reeves. And a lot of people don't know who Bass Reeves is, so I kind of just threw some wiki facts out here just to kind of explain my thought process. But Bass Reeves was a really popular black deputy back in cowboy times and everything like that. He's credited to have arrested more than 3,000 felons. Um, And, you know, he also just killed several people in the name of the law. So he is uh, a black marshal uh, up in those times, a black bounty hunter up in those times. And a lot of people say that the idea of the Lone Ranger, he was one of the people that inspired this idea of the Lone Ranger, which for all we know and for all history is told us is that the Lone Ranger has always kind of been this all-American white cow. Boy, So I would love to see Spike Lee tackle this. I think that Spike Lee has the skill to do it because of movies like The Inside Man. Uh, Westerns are all are uh, the best ones anyway, because there are a lot of crappy ones. Let's not let's not get it twisted. But the best Westerns I've seen have always been predicated on building tension. They bought that. That's what the draw of a Western is. You you have these characters on a collision course. And there's this constant tension building between this hero and this villain. And there's this collision course. And then when they clash, it's just something epic. Or, you know, you're building this story around these characters. And I think that Spike Lee could do that. I thought that in um, his movie, The Inside Man, he did a great job at building tension in that movie, making you guess the twists and turns. So I think that he could take some of those talents, some of the logic that he took in that film, and he could apply apply it to this. I think that if it's about black cowboys and Bass Reeve, Reeves, I think that he would be passionate about the subject. I think that that would be something that he would want to do, and I think he would see the significance of that. That would be something that I, I think he could look at and be passionate about and really put some energy towards, because I would love to know more about that story. I would love for more people to know about Bass Reeves and who he is and things like that. And I know that there's been like little short films here and there. And I want to say that there may be like some sort of indie film in development about Bass Reeves. But I would love for somebody at that level, like a Spike Lee at a national level, to not only tackle something, a subject matter that he really hasn't done or a style of movie that he really hasn't done, but also do it with those with those black people casted and um, and about and actually cover a part of black culture that I don't think gets enough coverage. So that would kind of be my first idea. I'd like to get you guys' thoughts on that. I thought you were going to keep going. That So you caught me off guard. <laughs> um, no, I could definitely see that. And I think, you know, with Spike Lee being also as big of like just a film nerd as he is, um, I, I, I think that'd be a real possibility. Um, cause even when you look at stuff like, uh, inside man, apparently the the reason why he used the music he did in inside man was solely because one of his students at, uh, NYC, uh, film school or, or where the fuck he teaches. I, I don't, it's somewhere in New York. He teaches at a film school. 
NYU, I believe, or something like that. Yeah. Um, Like challenged him to watch some Bollywood movies and stuff like that. So I think that he would be able to do something like that. And I think especially if you um, tag it, uh, you know, tag on to a a major like African-American cowboy or something like that, especially to where he could build it around that. I, I, I think that's very possible. And, you know, and like you said, with what the things he's done, you know, whether you look at something like Malcolm X or, you know, like you said, Inside Man, something like that, I think he would be able to kind of deftly handle something like that. My only thing is, would he actually want to do something that's just more or less not based in New York? <laughs> True. That that would be a stretch because, yeah, you're talking about like coming to Texas with all the sand and stuff like that. And I don't know if he's ever even shot at a location such as that. I don't know if he's. Has he done anything ever. outside of New York? Yeah, I don't know. Oh, no, I he probably did that. not. No, no, no. That that World War Two movie he did. Um, oh, he did do that. I forget about that one, man. Yeah, there's a reason for that. Um, yeah. So, so he has shot outside of that New York setting, but yes, that would be the biggest stretch of it. And the biggest challenge for him, would he want to come out to a place like this and shoot something like that? That would definitely be a challenge for him. But I think if he's passionate about the project, like you said, that might bridge that gap. And then there's other things about it too. Like when you go back and look at just some of the stuff that I've listened to on YouTube and stuff like that about the black cowboys, there was a lot of things going on with segregation in those sectors too. Like a lot of the, the, the black people, like a lot of, um, they were interviewing just like some old men who kind of grew up in that era and stuff like that. There are these interviews that you can look at on YouTube. And a lot of them were kind of saying that back at that time, man, the whole term cowboy came from the fact that, you know, black people, that's what they used to call them boys. And the ones that would deal with the cattle and do the work out there and stuff like that, that's where the cowboy, a lot of that cowboy name comes from that. So I thought that was interesting. So that so some of that stuff I just found it to be fascinating. And who knows how true that is, but I mean it sounds like I, that doesn't sound like too much of a stretch. And then they were talking about like rodeos and how there would be these black cowboys who really were good at uh riding bulls and doing the rodeos and things like that, but sometimes they weren't allowed to perform or do that just because if they were too good, you know, the white counterparts wouldn't want them to compete or people would, or they would make, or or after the, uh, the big rodeo event was over, then they would let the black cowboys in and they could do their own rodeo and stuff like that. So there are like all these kinds of kinds of stories that I think would just fascinate Spike Lee. And I think that, man, if there was a tie in where he could do like Bass Reeves as this marshal hunting down these, you know, these outlaws. And then on top of that, you've got maybe these black cowboys that come into play and helping him. And you could tie in the segregation and what some of uh, Bass Reeves must have went through being this marshal, but still being black. I mean, I just think that there's definitely a story there for Spike Lee. Yeah, I, I like the idea of that because he I feel like he would bring a really like fresh 
type of perspective to a story like that. And I think he's just the type of storyteller that people are going to listen to that. You know, they're going to they're going to be paying attention to it, kind of like they did with like Black Klansman, you know, where you're just kind of like, yeah, I am really intrigued with this story in general. And just knowing his style of how he does things like he would be able to draw in people to that story, even people that might not know much about it or have heard of it at all. He would be able to draw them into that just by how he tells a story and really just draws you into those characters. That's a great pl- point with Black Klansman. And yeah, that's another like great story or great movie that he did where you could reference elements of that and say if he applies some of those same things to this, it would be a success. Because yes, even that story is kind of unique. You know, this black man that kind of infiltrated the Ku Klux Klan. That's is all, the, the, you know, you could apply some of that to this, I'm sure. This black martial bounty hunter that hunted these white outlaws. I mean, that's just a story that you don't hear a lot about, you know, and there were Native American cowboys and stuff like that, too. So I just feel like there's a story there, man, that people need to know about, because when you think of cowboy, you think of one skin color and you think of one kind of visual. And it might be time to for somebody to tell that story. All right, Justin, what about this? What if Spike Lee did a remake of the Sinbad movie Cherokee Kid? Hmm. <laughs> interesting. That is an interesting thought. Man, I'm trying to remember like <laughs> parts of that movie, but no. But yeah, even with something like that, yeah, he would do something like that justice. And especially the Native American tie-in. Oh man, he could, you know he would definitely want to tell that story in a way to where it's impactful. And there's plenty of ammo for him to be able to do that with that tie in. So, yeah, nothing could redeem Cherokee kid. Nothing. (laughs) Do you remember that movie, Justin? Not a lot of it. No. (laughs) So you don't remember. It's not memorable. So you don't don't remember remember the first time. You don't remember the first time he goes to the bank. He's like, I'm going to rob this bank. And then the teller's like, Oh, Hey, if you open up a bank account with us for like this amount of money, you get a free pistol. And so instead of robbing the bank, he like starts an account or whatever and gets the pistol. Wow. I must've never seen it. I definitely don't remember that. And whenever he's trying to start the bank account, he like hands his gun over to the, the bank teller to, so he could fill out some shit or whatever. Yeah. Classic shit. Just super great. Wow. Why don't I remember this? I know I saw that. I just, Maybe I repressed it. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen it in damn near 20 years. It's Yeah, it's been years, man. Like, years. I just know for whatever reason, when I was a kid, when that movie would come on like HBO, I'd watch it. I think it's because even as a child, I had no real standards and kind of hated myself a lot. So I'd watch things like the Cherokee Kid. <laughs> oh, man. Life kind of sucks. Heather, your turn. <laughs> okay, so... My my first one that I thought of was um, so I my first thing is Jordan Peele because he is just amazing at storytelling in every aspect, directing, writing, all of it. Um, I'm already intrigued now. I know. I'm already intrigued. You said him. I'm already intrigued. (laughs) It's his 
everything he does, I feel like is impeccable. Like he's kind of untouchable right now. And I'm a huge fan of the types of movies that he does, the thriller horror type of movies. And I never want him to stop doing them because they're always great. But I would honestly just like to see him take on a drama um, just because I feel like he has that um, he has the chops to write something super deep because I feel like even his thriller movies are that way a little bit. And he always is, he always does excellent casting. He always just has like that moment in a script or a story that he's writing. That's just like that gut punch moment or that moment of like, I'm going to actually have to think about this, you know? And I just feel like if he had a drama movie, that he was trying to tell that it would, I just think that that would reach people on a crazy level of like, that was a powerful movie. Um, I don't even care what type of drama. It could be like a, a love story. It could be a war story. It could be, I don't really, it wouldn't matter because I would be into it the whole time. Like, I just think he, I just think he is so like above like par of anything that he could just make an amazing drama movie. Like even if it was something like marriage story, you know, but like his version of it or something similar, like he would just, the dialogue would be just as good, you know, like you're just, you're, you're going to be like captivated by the entire movie and even just the way the direction that he takes with things. And he always has some kind of a twist, you know, but he also just, I mean, his choices in even how he how he tells stories and the pace he tells them at and things like that. It's always very on point for me. And I just think bringing that into a drama would just kind of reinvigorate dramas and make people who might not even like them want to see him. Cause I feel like he's done that for even horror movies. Like there's a lot of people who aren't into them, but I know some who have said like, I'll watch that movie or I have watched that movie and I like it. You know, like, I just feel like he would kind of reinvigorate that for people. And I just think he would do an awesome job in every aspect of writing it, directing it, casting it, everything, because that's what he does anyway. But yeah, I just think that would be a really solid movie if he did that. Man, I like that idea. Um, You just got my wheels turning. How um, I was going to say, like when you said drama, I just immediately thought of, yeah, like something like when you said marriage story and drama and everything like that, I was like, oh, man, he could do that if it was about the right story and everything like that. And I was just wondering uh, how like. Is he because I mean, I need to know more about him, the person, but like, is he like deeply religious or how uh like religious? I haven't heard anything. I as far as I know, I, I mean, I haven't heard him specifically ever say anything or I don't even know if he's ever talked about it. So I'm not actually sure. That's a good question. Okay, and the reason why and the only reason why I ask is because you know what would be cool because he likes to do subject matter and he even said, you know, I'm not really going to do white stories because we've seen that everybody's done that. And he said, I'm going to concentrate on my people. I'm going to concentrate on stories about marginalized groups and stuff like that. And you know what? I I wonder if he would ever tackle something like from like maybe the LGBTQ or something like that. Like, I wonder if he would ever do something like that, a marginalized group within a marginalized group. 
I wonder what he could do with that if he was passionate about it. I just, and that's why I asked like how religious is he? Because, you know, depending on that, he may not want, you know, depending on how he feels about them, maybe that wouldn't be something he'd be passionate about doing. Not saying he, he's hates them or discriminates against them or whatever, but you know, but I wonder, yeah. yeah, but I wonder if he'd be motivated to do something like that. Cause that's another uh, aspect of, I think, black people that doesn't get a lot of coverage, you know what I mean? Like those same sex. Yeah. And I think he would have such a, he could bring a lot of symbolism, a lot of like, uh, he would, I think he would do a good job because of the way he thinks and how he uses his metaphors and how that could drive yeah. the story. He might be able to do something really powerful with that and kind of like show how, you know, we're all in this together sort of thing even though you know I don't know I just think maybe that could be something he could do if he was passionate yeah. about it and you saying that I actually I had two movies I just thought of that I was like a Jordan Peele version of that would be awesome Moonlight okay like a Jordan Peele Moonlight version <laughs> yeah okay right? Ooh, or yeah. even even if it's not like I mean even if it's just a more standard story of like um like photograph the photograph that just came out like his version of that, where he would make it a little bit of a deeper level than it already was, you know, just like movies like that. I feel like he could take them and just add a different like layer to it. And yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Oh, I mean, that would be interesting. It's just really funny with when Justin said, like asking if he was religious and stuff like that, it instantly just made me think of essentially Jordan Peele directing a Tyler Perry movie. <laughs> oh yes, man that <laughs> just take a tyler perry script and have jordan peele direct it dude that would be something for sure <laughs> that would be yes for sure that'd be interesting i mean it's just i don't know that's just instantly where my mind went with that because i do know that that that's kind of what shaped a lot of what tyler perry does and stuff like that and i just think it'd be in general i mean that it would be a drama it would fit a lot of the criteria the types of movies that jordan peele wants to do so yeah that's just how I'm going to look at what you propose. What if Tyler or what if Jordan <laughs> Peele directed a Tyler Perry movie? I'll take it. Yeah. I mean, because honestly, he could probably make anything good. So, <laughs> yeah, that's a very interesting idea, actually. That's that would be the uh, yeah. biggest challenge of challenges on some Man. of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Tyler Perry movies are just always just so good. <laughs> I felt how much you believed that in your soul. I did. <laughs> Good, because I do. We talked about that in unpopular opinions when I, Jasmine's like, I don't like Tyler Perry. And I was like, what? <laughs> Makes no sense. <laughs> He's the best. Hmm. Him and what's her name? Tajay P. Henson doing all their movies together. Yeah. Because I just feel like that's a hallmark for a Tyler Perry movie is Tajay P. Henson's in it. Even if it's like she's possible, yeah. Even if she's just yeah. the lady walking down the street at one point, I just feel like she's in all his movies. Anyway, we digress on that. Anything else on this one? <laughs> nope. No, it's a good idea. All right. So I originally wasn't going to start this way. I was going to try to be nice, but I'm not. I'm not going to be nice first. I'm going to start with my mean one. Um. So we're talking about like getting our uh, like actors out of their comfort zones and stuff like that. And for me. I'm going to start it off with let's just get an actor that like used to be good and back into good movies. Like, so it's not, it's not their entire like comfort zone as far as like their history as an actor, but just their history lately. Let's, 
So uh, my proposal is, what if we just got Johnny Depp into a good movie again? I think that'd be fantastic. <laughs> um, just in general. <laughs> slash, you, you know, maybe he wouldn't play in himself or just not playing a weird character. Let's just have Johnny Depp play a regular guy, just a normal person in a movie for once, just doing normal shit. Because I think the closest he's ever come to playing a normal guy was like, what's that movie, The Professor? But even then, he doesn't even end up being like uh, that normal because he's like, oh, I'm a professor. Yeah, but let's do weird shit because I'm dying of cancer. Just like, oh, God, he was like so close to being just a normal fucker. Like, even if you go back and look at his movie, <laughs> the, like The Ninth Gate, where he's like, yeah, I'm just a, you know, rare book finder, which I guess that's a job. Um which is probably like one of the most normal jobs he's done in a movie. So I'm like, cool. Then it ends up being like, oh, let's do a spell to summon the devil. Like he still goes weird. Like <laughs> the last movie I liked that he was in was Murder on the Orient Express. And it has nothing to do with him being in that movie. Spoiler alert. His character is the one that dies. He is the murdered person on the Orient Express. So it's not really that big of a spoiler. That's literally the plot of the entire movie is someone gets murdered and Perot has to figure out who did it. He's the one that is murdered. Um, so I was actually kind of happy with that because of everybody in that cast. God, he was the weak link. Um, but like you're going back through all his movies and for whatever reason, that guy has done 90 billion movies lately and I don't, and it's just surprising because it didn't click. The last kind of good movie he did was 2015 when he did, when he played Whitey Boulder uh, in Black Mask. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was it. Yeah, that was it. He was into he was in that movie Into the Woods, which that that movie's fine, I guess. But even then, he's the weakest fucking character in it. But like, you keep scrolling back and you keep scrolling back, and then the last good movie he did was his cameo in Twenty One Jump Street in 2012. So we're in eight years, and the fucker's got like two, three good movies. Like, fuck, dude. He was the like biggest name in the world for like how many years? And then now he just yeah. can't fucking scrape together a good fucking movie to save his life. So you go before that. I, I didn't think, I didn't think public enemies was that good. I felt like it was a little forced. Um, and then you have the imaginarium of Dr. Uh, Dr. Parnassus, which I have mixed feelings about that movie. I like that movie, but do I like that movie just because that's the movie Heath Ledger died while filming? Like while he was filming that movie, he died. Is that why I like it? Because then you had, not like that specifically, but then you had like Colin Farrell and Jude Law and Johnny Depp all come in to help finish that movie since Heath Ledger died, you know? Mm-hmm. And lucky, lucky it's a Terry Gilliam movie, so it's weird. So they were able to, you know, it worked by having uh, multiple actors playing one character. Um, but I don't know, is that why I like it, you know? Or is it actually a good movie? I can't tell. So I don't even know if I want to give him credit for that. Um, he did Rango, which I think is okay. It's it's not really a I. It's a unique visual movie. It's not a unique story. That story we've kind of seen a billion times. Um, but I mean, I guess for the most part, it's okay. And then before that, the you know, then like I said, you have the Imaginarium, and then I guess Sweeney Todd. So Sweeney Todd, that's two thousand and seven. That's thirteen fucking years ago. God. Yeah. And then, all right, then you listen to this before that, then you've got two pirates movies or, or you've got, you've got dead man's chest, which that's okay. I suppose. Well, all right, you have at world's end and dead man's chest in back to back years. 
But then you have Corpse Bride, which was good. The ever-controversial Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Finding, then you get to Finding Neverland, which is a great movie. Yes, great film. Great movie. That was fucking 16 years ago, Justin. Man, I don't know if this is a good idea or not, but I would really like to see him. I mean, and he, I guess he kind of did this in Black Mass, but still, I think... There's potential there because he did do a good job with that role, but I would like to see him kind of not be so pretty, maybe get uglied up a little bit and maybe play a character with not many redeeming qualities, maybe a character study of just a bad person, maybe somebody who he did that in blow manipulate. I guess he kind of did, huh? You're, you're kind was of describing he ugly in that. Was he ugly in that though? He, he was towards the end when he was all fat and old. Okay, I was saying, like, like, I don't remember him being very ugly in that. But him just like, being a terrible, okay, or, or not a terrible, you know what I mean, but like a manipulative, you know, drug trafficker. You know, it fit every one of your other criteria, honestly. I see. I see. But I mean, like Finding Neverland, I feel like is the closest he came to actually playing a normal human being. But even then, it's you, there are fantastical elements to that character. I mean, like, what if he actually just played somebody's dad? Like, he was just a, 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 a guy. Just be normal. Yeah, just a guy, you know? Like, what if they did, like, an older version of Marriage Story and he was Adam Driver's character? Like, just a guy. Hmm. Like, I just think okay. that'd be crazy. So maybe it's not that he does a good movie. Yeah. Let's just, let's just change it. Let's make it a little simpler. Have him play a normal fucking person. A normal person in a movie. You know? That's why he'd be good in, like, a, or not good. Like, I'm saying, like, the dad of a character, you know what I mean? Like, do a remake yeah. of Juno, and he's the dad instead of J.K. Simmons. <laughs> like, something. Like, just be a normal fucking person for once. Maybe that would actually help fix his life, because apparently that guy spends, like, my yearly salary on wine a day or some shit. Like, it's stupid how much, like, wine he buys and shit. Like, maybe that would, like, cool him down. Like, maybe that would kind of, like, snap him out of the elements that he's in. If he had to like method act being a person, he would just be like, oh, this is what it's like. <coughs> I just think that'd be interesting. No, I get that because like, I, I do feel like at this point he's typecast uh, certain things because he has that very eccentric way about him. And it would be a challenge or different for sure for him to be like a normal standard, not majestic or whatever type of character um, or quirky character or whatever. Yeah. Just being the standard character. Like, I feel like I also would say like, if we're talking on him playing normal ish characters, um, he wasn't too out there in secret window until obviously the end when he's actually, you know, crazy or whatever he's actually Fuck that movie. <laughs> no, I'm just saying I'm not there and eating the... corn. Ugh. I'm not Ugh. saying the movie's good. I'm just saying like yeah, the but you brought character it up. he I'm just saying the character he portrayed was more on the normal side than other movies that he normally does. So that's that's all I meant by that. But yeah, I agree. It's a I, I, I the get movie's that. insane, but But the, I, still the whole premise of the movie is like a weird psychological thriller supernatural weird fucking thing you know so i guess that's why like in general i still feel like he wasn't just a normal person you know because like normal people don't yeah. have to deal with like random people showing up saying you stole my story 
<laughs> like that is true. Actually, yeah, that's true. You know, and no, see, that's the thing is I legitimately think at the end of the movie, the way he was eating that corn, I think that that was his impression of how people eat corn. No human in the history he's, of he's ever not normal. has eaten corn like that. <laughs> That's, yeah, he's not normal, so he doesn't eat corn in a normal way. <laughs> so He, has to he just probably really, has his yeah. chef cook individual corn kernels for him that is like, you know, stuck on the end of a toothpick stabbed through asparagus or something. And he thinks that that's how people eat corn or some shit. Like, I feel like the last time he played a normal fucking human being was maybe what's eating Gilbert Grape. Like, I just feel like that that was the last time he played a person. And every other movie he's ever done, I feel like he's just been detached from reality. And just over time, he's played so many detached roles that he doesn't know what people are anymore. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> like I said, I think that that's how he eats corn or he thinks people eat corn. Like. I mean, have you seen how many fucking scarves this man wears? He is not set in reality. He doesn't know what a scarf really is. He doesn't know what they're used for. He needs something to center center him. And that would be playing a normal human being. (laughs) And you can tell him just to like get him in the mindset. You can be like, your character is secretly an alien that's trying to infiltrate humanity by just (laughs) acting like a normal person. So he would accept the role, and then you just never have any of that other shit in the movie. He's just a normal human. Be like, oh, we had to cut it. You know, time. (laughs) Yeah. Everything got changed. Yeah, you know, we had to cut it for time reasons. That's how you get him to accept the movie. You know, and then you could have all these weird outtakes of him being like, trying to contact the mothership and shit. That'd be great. I want to see that movie now. Except I don't, because he wouldn't be a normal person. God, I hate it. I just like the idea of it. I want to see a making of that movie is what I want to see. I want to see the movie as him as a regular person, but I want to see a behind the scenes making of that movie where he thinks it's an alien movie. Yeah. I just, and also, can I just do one little side tangent? Because I brought up the movie. Sure. I know people really like Leonardo DiCaprio's acting in the movie What's Eating Gilbert Grape. But let's be real, people. In no way, shape, or form is that anywhere near his best acting role. So quit saying it. Just stop. I just had to say that. It's like a little PSA for people. Yeah, I can see some of that. I think that uh, it's funny because, yeah, I've been posting those little list things and like, you know, the best movies. This What are your top five movies this person's in or whatever? We always feature an actor or actress. Well, the funny thing is about that is that I do think that a lot of people just think about the movies they like. And they just simply go, okay, I really like this movie. Leonardo DiCaprio was in this movie. <laughs> Therefore, I am going to put this in my top five for Leo DiCaprio. Whereas I'm kind of that person that goes, okay, what did he act? What do I think he act, acted the best in? What were his most impactful performances to me? And I'm going by that, whereas they're kind of going by, well, I just really like this movie. Like a lot of people put Gangs of New York for him, which on their list, which I understand. But to me, I would put that in a Daniel Day-Lewis top list for me you can't more than put, I would. Yeah, you can't put Gangs of New York in there when Daniel Day-Lewis is in that movie. Exactly. Like right. to me, exactly. To me, that's a Daniel Day-Lewis top five list. That's not a Leo DiCaprio. That he wasn't the most 
he he didn't. I, I'm not saying Stand his out. acting didn't have didn't have an impact in that movie, but for the most part, he was just kind of like your quintessential protagonist in that movie. That was very much Daniel Day Lewis's movie. You know what I mean? So, but I, other people don't think like that. You know. I know when that movie first came out. I'm not gonna lie. That was one of my favorite movies ever when that came out. And over time, my my thoughts on it have changed. Hmm. Part of it was for the fact that for some stupid reason. When it came out on DVD, they split it up into two DVDs. Like, what the fuck is this garbage? I have to change discs. But <laughs> the other thing about it was, is that movie is a very okay movie. It's borderline good when you just look at the movie. But Daniel Day-Lewis elevates that the movie so fucking much. The Butcher, man. Yeah. The Butcher. If you had anyone else playing that role, you would have just been like, oh, it's a good movie, I guess. It was way too long, but it was good, I guess. But Daniel Day-Lewis is just so captivating in that movie. Every so scene he is in becomes 100% a Daniel Day-Lewis scene. No one else really exists. <laughs> Anytime yeah. he's on the yeah. screen in that movie. I mean, and I was thinking about it, too. You take most Daniel Day-Lewis movies. If he wasn't in it, how bad would they kind of be? Like, there will be blood which I think is an incredible movie, would probably be one of the most boring movies ever made if Daniel Day-Lewis wasn't in it. Man, you got a point there. It's got Paul Dano, who yeah. is amazing. Yeah, and he's yeah. great in it too, yeah. He, he's great. There, somehow, he's one of the few people I've ever seen to go up against Daniel Day-Lewis in a movie and not get completely overshadowed. Yeah, he's super underrated. He's great. Yeah, he, he is Don't get underrated. me wrong. He totally got shadowed, but not overshadowed, just regular right. shadowed. <laughs> and but like if you just t put anyone else in that movie, like, I don't know, just name another actor. Jake Gyllenhaal. Well, I don't know if Jake Gyllenhaal would be able to play that guy because uh, of how, <laughs> his age. But let's just say Jake Gyllenhaal. It's the first thing. Yeah, it's the first thing that came to mind. Who, and Jake Gyllenhaal is a great actor. I think he's fantastic. But that movie would not be the same. It'd be rather boring and kind of long. Yeah. But Daniel I mean, Day-Lewis is just by himself captivating. I mean, that milkshake dialogue thing at the end of the movie is one of the most ridiculous lines to ever be fucking filmed. But God damn, is it amazing and impactful <laughs> as fuck. I mean, even if you took like any other like top notch, like favorites of acting greats and put them in that role. Like a Tom Hanks, for example, you know, I love me some Tom, Tom Hanks, Hanks but mean. he couldn't. What's that? Tom Hanks isn't mean enough to do that movie. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, he, even him or even like a Denzel, like he can play a, a villain, but just none of them would do it the way that Daniel Day-Lewis did it. You know what I mean? To me, the closest proximity would be a young Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Like a Chinatown Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Yeah. It would still be kind of long and kind of boring. But Daniel Day-Lewis takes it from being a kind of long and kind of boring movie to a fascinating fucking movie that was nominated. Didn't it win Best Picture? Or was I it, it was at least nominated? It, it, it was at least nominated, but I think it won. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's an amazing movie. And like I said, that that line about the milkshake is ridiculous. But yet somehow with Daniel Day-Lewis, it becomes in very intimidating. 
He's the scariest person I've ever seen on screen say the word milkshake. <laughs> and then make the slurping noise of drinking a fucking milkshake. And then you see something like Phantom Thread, where he's like this gentle person. Fuck, that's acting. I don't know how the fuck we got on to Daniel Day-Lewis. I mean, I know how. But, like, yeah, it's just everybody keeps bringing up Leonardo DiCaprio in, in What's Eating Gilbert Grape. And that's a fine movie, I guess. But, like, he's done such a better actual acting. You might like the movie, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, more. But even just something when he's younger that's better acting is like, what, like Catch Me If You Can. That's better acting than Gilbert Grape. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I just feel like Leonardo DiCaprio gets such a disservice when you bring up What's Eating Gilbert Grape as his best acting performance. Like, as much of a garbage fest as it is with that, that movie, uh, was it J. Edgar? or the, the movie about J. Edgar Hoover he did. Edgar or J. Mm-hmm. Edgar or whatever the fuck it was. Yeah, yeah. That's a bad movie. Clint Eastwood did himself no favors by directing that movie. <laughs> but Leonardo DiCaprio did a great job. Yeah. It was him acting like J. Edgar Hoover in a dumpster fire fucking happening all around him. <laughs> Basically, yep. You know. Honestly, like, I... I will never, ever forget him in Django. I will never forget him in that movie. That's probably one of my most memorable movies of his is that because he was, he wasn't even really in it for, I mean, he guess I guess he was in it for a good portion, but he, you know, he wasn't the main character. He wasn't the whatever, but he, his acting in that was just insane. He steals the movie from Christoph Waltz. And that's a tough job. And that's hard to do. I know. Christoph yeah. Waltz is fucking amazing. And I, I honestly, I am not a huge fan of Django Unchained because Same. of my long developed, slow, my slow boiling and long developing issues with Quentin Tarantino. But I'll be damned if I say any negative thing about Leonardo in that movie. Yep, I mean, exactly. Just the story about, you know, there's that scene in the movie where he like slams the glass down or like whatever. He breaks the glass in his hand. And the story yeah. goes is that scene that wasn't supposed to happen, but it did happen. And apparently yeah. so that in the movie, when you see his hand bleeding, that's actually Leonardo DiCaprio's hand bleeding because he accidentally broke that glass in his hand. And apparently he did not miss a beat and just kept going. Man. And they filmed that scene. And that's the one they use in the movie. I think that yeah. the one glance you get of the fuckers in pain is the fact that he gets slightly angrier in that scene. Like, all he does is, like, channel that into being, like, more angry. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's, like, the only notice you get that he did that. And I'm like, that's some fucking acting right there, damn it. Mm-hmm. Like, come on. I mean, like I said, you can, like, what's eating Gilbert Grape all you want, but let's be real. I mean, that scene alone, the acting in that scene alone is better than the entirety of his acting in what's eating Gilbert Grape. <laughs> Sorry, that's just my it's rant because so I saw that in Johnny Depp's IMDb and it just re- channeled these repressed memories of Justin's t- best five roles of Leonardo DiCaprio. And there was no less than 97.3 What's Eating Gilbert Grapes. Yeah, there was a lot of Gilbert Grape in there. A ton. And once again, He's I understand. He's also smarter about his movie choices than um, Johnny Depp is. Oh, everybody is. Tara Reid is smarter <laughs> about her acting choices than Johnny Depp is at this point. <laughs> oh, man. He went there. He really yeah. went there. I will accept the entirety of all the Sharknado movies over anything Johnny Depp's done in like the last six years. <laughs> and Tara Reid was in those. So she is making better choices. 
I mean, she has a robot hand at, towards the end of those. It's a, it's fucking fantastic. Um, but it also does make me think too, like once I do Johnny Depp, cause I'm going to do him, I'm going to do a, what are your top five for Johnny Depp? I wonder how many people will actually have something like find a Neverland on their list, which they should like, how is that not one of his top five movies? But I imagine there won't be a lot of people that put it there, you know? All right. You want something controversial with it? Yeah. Chocolate's overrated. You think Chocolat's overrated? Chocolat's overrated. I haven't seen that in years. I would have to see how I feel about it now. I, when I watched it years ago, I liked it. I didn't love it, but I don't know. I'd have it's to. Not, I'm not saying it's bad. It's overrated. Uh, overrated. Because think yeah. about when that movie came out. How many people, oh, you have to see Chocolat. You have to see Chocolat. <laughs> I'm like, you just like saying the fucking name. <laughs> yeah. The movie's not that good. Chocolat. You know. It's, it's a fine movie. It really is. It's a fine movie. But yeah, it's just, it was the, like the biggest thing at the time. Like you wanted to show how sophisticated we're You'd be like, oh, you need to watch Chocolat. Fuck that. <laughs> it's not that good. I'm just saying it's overrated. Like, dear God. But like. You should incorporate that title into the next like three podcasts we do. Cause that's amazing. Oh, like, I mean, it doesn't help that I'm not even a huge chocolate fan. So I didn't even like it in English. It's not better because it's in French. Um, I mean, it's just I, all right, for me to truly. All right, let's get back to Johnny Depp so I can uh, stop talking about him. I mean, just in general, I feel like he went on this journey to play all these wildly different people and in these crazy characters to like just show how deep his range was. And then in the end, honestly, to me, I feel like they're all the same fucking character. Just like with a weird, different voice, you know, like these characters just boil down to that. They're just eccentric. I mean, fuck even a rank or Ringo or Ringo, whatever the fuck that movie is called. It's just an, it's an eccentric chameleon. <laughs> like that's all he is. Like these characters go like his acting has just become a weird stylized version of acting. Like if there is no style to it, he can't do it. And I think that's even like pushing it with, was it Black Mass or whatever the fuck that movie is? Even as Whitey Bulger, I feel like there was that element to it of having to be stylized to do it. And like I said, I brought up the movie The Professor, which I know too many people haven't seen. And I don't blame you because I'm sad that I watched it. But he takes this role, which is a professor. And then it ends up being like, what is that movie with Robin Williams, Dead Poet Society or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like he just it, it becomes a version of that. Like, oh, I'm dying. Let's, you know, I'm going to just change my life now that I'm dying. Like, dude, just be an accountant <laughs> in a movie, man. <laughs> like Tom Hanks has played like a newspaper editor. Do that. If it's good enough for Tom Hanks, it's good enough for you. <laughs> be a newspaper editor in a movie, man. Calm the fuck down for five seconds. Like even even in the, the the Harry the new Harry Potter movies, the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, I think it does a huge disservice to the character of Grindelwald to go from being Colin Farrell in the first movie to turning into Johnny Depp with like five minutes left in that movie. I'm like, oh, that's such a downgrade because yeah, Colin Farrell was is utterly fantastic in that movie. Like you want to see some like you want to see somebody that's like kind of redeveloped their career. Look at Colin Farrell. Holy fuck. He's amazing, honestly. Like, you look at his early roles and stuff like that, which does have the insanely underrated phone booth. 
Um, but then he did what Alexander, which oh, <laughs> that was like nine years of my life. I'll never get back off that damn movie. Um, what else was he doing back then? Not just a bunch of bullshit. He did some vampire movie. I remember. Oh no, no, that was Fright Night. Fright Night's good. I like Fright Night. I haven't actually seen it. I just remember he was a vampire. <laughs> I like the I like the remake of Fright Night. Um, okay, I'll take your word for it. But like you see him now. Like, I'm excited about Colin Farrell in movies now. You tell yeah. me Colin Farrell's going to be in a movie. I'm fucking down for it. You tell me Johnny Depp's going to be in a movie. And I go, <laughs> <laughs> what fucking weird thing is he doing this time? Right. Like, even that movie he did with, what's her, what's her name? Angelina Jolie, The Tourist. Maybe that's the yeah. closest he's been to being a normal person in a movie. But even then, he wasn't. That movie was like double cross after double cross. Like it got like there were so many double crosses in that movie. At a certain point, I was expecting him to pull off his face and actually being Angelina Jolie. <laughs> like Scooby Doo, Charlie's Angel style. Right. I don't know. I mean, I mean, uh, I guess at this point, I guess I should ask you guys. Do you guys like agree with my my thesis of taking Johnny Depp out of his comfort zone and putting him in a normal fucking role? Yeah, 100%. I, yeah, I, it's just, it's, yeah, you don't get excited about Johnny Depp movies anymore. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, uh, just something that, uh, preferably something where the person isn't this eccentric, redeeming type of person. Like, I would rather him go the, the negative way than the positive way. But yeah, I totally agree. Uh, like, I would like to see him kind of do something completely different. That would be cool. I mean... I get with what you're saying, Justin, but to me, I legitimately just want him to be a normal person. Just you wake up in the morning, you drink some OJ, you eat some toast, you eat some bacon, even though your wife is telling you not to because your cholesterol's too high. Just something normal, like for just one movie, you know, like I said, just something it can. It, I'm not saying he has to legitimately be a boring character the entire movie. I'm not saying that because there are a ton of movies. I mean, even if it was just a romantic movie like The Photograph, where he's just playing a normal person, you know, there's no yeah. weird eccentric C's. There's no anything like that. He just wears normal fucking clothes that he bought at Target. A normal person, you know, you can even do the stereotypical, you know, he's a going. Th he's a middle aged white man going through a midlife crisis, wants to cheat on his wife, but doesn't with the young babysitter. That's infinitely more normal than the fucking shit he does. I'm not advocating. <laughs> no scarves. Yeah. I'm not advocating being a middle-aged white man and fucking your babysitter at all. But that is a weird level. That somehow, compared to how eccentric his roles are, somehow has become a normal person if he was to portray it. Yeah. I mean, even if it's something like Steve Carell's character in Crazy Stupid Love, just something normal. like. All right, any role that is written for a slightly older Ryan Gosling, play one of those roles. <laughs> Just be a normal human. Because, you know, uh, Ryan Gosling did that something behind the pines or something movie. He was kind of a yeah. bad guy in that, Justin. See, Don, Johnny Depp can be the bad guy in that. I mean, fuck. Ryan Gosling's character in Drive is a normal person <laughs> compared to anything Johnny Depp does. I'm just... I feel like there was a good actor there that has lost his way. Yeah. 
or maybe even something like what Ben Affleck played on the way uh, in the way back where you're just a guy with problems. You got a history of problems and stuff and you're trying to, you know, he gets a job trying to just Mm -hmm. a story about a person, you know? Yep. I mean, fuck the character Ben Affleck plays in, uh, was it gone girl is normal compared to (laughs) anything Johnny Depp does now. Yeah. I would argue that Liam Neeson's character in that snowplow movie where his son dies of a drug overdose and he has to go take down the, the cartels in the snow place with his snowplow is a normal person <laughs> compared to what he does. All I heard basically was Johnny Depp should be Ben Affleck. That's what I heard. No, nobody can be Ben Affleck. He's all special <laughs> by himself. Um, but yes, any role that Ben Affleck is too busy to do, Johnny Depp should just do that for a movie. How about that? Yes. All right, Heather. So what's another little comfort slang from you? So one, another one that I thought of was actually, um, I mentioned a little earlier in this episode about like Denzel Washington being one of the greats and he definitely is. And he is a phenomenal actor. And, you know, you see, I mean, yeah, I, I think that he has proven himself to be like really great at the, the dramas and the things like that. I would actually like to see Denzel Washington in a comedy, um, like either either like a romantic comedy or just a just a even like a buddy comedy type of movie, something like that, because I feel like we don't ever see Denzel in funny movies like the closest that I can think of was um, that two guns movie that he did with Mark Wahlberg. Like they had good chemistry and it was fine for what it was, but it was more of an action movie. Um, you know, but I just, I think that he would be good in comedy just because he has like this natural charisma about him and he has this way of like speaking and he has a way of just carrying himself where I just feel like he could be very smooth in doing comedic roles. And I could be wrong. I think that sometimes doing roles where you have to be a funny person, I would think that that would be harder sometimes um, because not everybody can pull off funny. And I just, I think that I would, I would like to see him take a shot at that because I, I just think that he could probably do a really great job at it. And mostly I just want to see what that would look like. I mean, cause you know, he's, he, you know, you want to see him kind of like, you know, laid back and more chill. And like, I just want to see him in a funny role where he's just straight up like hilarious in a movie because I don't know what that looks like. You know, um, he's a, you know, he's like a nice guy. He seems like, and like a, a good guy, but is he a funny guy? You know, I've seen things where I'm like, I think he's probably a funny guy, but you don't see it in his movies really. There's bits and pieces of certain movies that you feel like, yeah, okay, he's pretty, he's pretty humorous, but that's not the point of those movies. So I just, when it's supposed to be actually the comedy genre and seeing him do something with that, I think would be interesting. And I mean, I realize he's like later in his career now and he's in his like fifties or sixties or whatever, but I still think he might be able to do it, but even a younger him would have been good too. But, um, yeah, I just, I want to see what that would look like. I want to see Denzel in a funny movie. Well, in his defense, very early on in his career, he actually did a few comedies. Um, when you look at his movies, uh, he did one, 
He did a version of uh, Much Ado About Nothing, the Shakespeare play. He did one of the movie versions of that um, back in the day. But he did this movie with Bob Hoskins back in the day called Heart Condition. And let me just read you the plot synopsis about it because I haven't seen this movie in, oh, geez, a very fucking long time. Um, but it, the, the plot synopsis of this movie is, a racist cop receives a heart transplant from a black lawyer he hates who returns as a ghost to ask the cop to help take down the men that murdered him. So Bob Hoskins is the racist cop and Denzel Washington is the lawyer. Hmm. So yeah. Wow. He is, uh, yeah, so he's haunting him and, you know, it's all weird jokes about like, I hate black people. And he's like, oh, but you got the heart of one type of shit, you know. It's he has done some comedies long, long time ago, but I mean, you're not wrong with like, especially nowadays, that just doesn't seem like it's in his like what he does at all. But then you see him in an interview and he's cracking jokes nonstop and all this other stuff. And you're like, well, why don't you do that in a movie? I mean, the right. closest you kind of get to that in a recent movie outside of, like you said, that two guns movie or whatever would be some of the lines of dialogue he said in Inside Man, where mm. you'd have these one liners here and there. But, you know, that's yeah. kind of a Spike Lee thing, you know, because even because, you know, Spike Lee movies, a lot of his stuff, especially like that kind of it, it has some jokes here and there, you know. Um, and so with that, you know, you, you know, the potentials there, but you're absolutely right. As far as most of his movies, you don't see it. And nobody's talking like and nobody's talking about his 1990s weird racist cop buddy cop movie with Bob Hoskins. <laughs> right. Yeah, I honestly, I haven't ever even heard of that movie. So, yeah, you're right. But and even to do you one better too, um, a comedy with him and his son in that movie. I would definitely see that movie. If that movie ever happened, I'd feel bad for Denzel because his son would do a better job. I said it. It's potentially true. He's great. He's very great. So I, I just think, yeah, I think that would be an interesting dynamic or to see like an on-screen father-son situation in a comic setting, um, a comedy setting, I think would be kind of fun to see with the two of them. Yeah. And I think that with him, with Denzel, even there may even be the potential there. Yeah. And I think that something like some sort of tandem movie or like you said, a buddy movie or something like that. I think that to me, that's what I envision working best, because even if you have kind of the more dry kind of serious demeanor, Denzel, if you juxtapose that or contrast that, I guess is a better word, with somebody who's kind of not that way, and you put them in these kind of funny situations where maybe this person gets them to lighten up a little bit, you might have something there. Or you take Denzel's kind of that demeanor and maybe some dry humor might work with that. Like, I think they're might be some potential for that to be really funny. And yeah, I agree with Sterling. I've seen Denzel in a lot of interviews and he does seem like a funny guy in the interviews and stuff like that. So maybe he can go opposite of that, you know, and not just, and not be that person. But if he does need to be that person, I think you could really get some comic gold if it's in contrast with somebody who's not like that. I think there might be something there with that. The dynamic would be the thing. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, so you want a buddy cop movie, but you don't want Denzel to be the straight guy. Like yes. you, you want Denzel to be the the comedic person in that. Because I mean, there was one interview I saw, and I don't remember who was interviewing him. But like at one point, Denzel's like singing a song. I think Denzel raps some fucking Cardi B at one point. Like, <laughs> you know, he's cracking jokes, smiling, having fun, and all this other shit. And I'm like, yeah, why don't you do that in a movie? You don't have to be just like a serious Sammy all the time. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. He was fantastic in Fences, but then he does like the equalizer. Mm-hmm. Like, what is it with all these older actors being like, oh, I need to be an action star now. What the fuck is that? They ain't calm the fuck down with that. That's a weird trope nowadays. Anyway, I digress. Um, but no, I, I, I do agree with you because we've all like we've seen aspects of that in Denzel here and there. Even in training day, you see a little bit of it. He's got some one-liners here and there, you know. Yeah. But you just never really get to see a lot of it. You just get to see a flash of it here and there. And it's nice, but it just, it always goes away. Yeah. So I can see that. I mean, we all, you know, you guys did forget about that big comedy he did, John Q. That was a joke of a fucking movie. Nailed it. (laughs) Oh. Oh. Oh, my. But, all right, Justin, what about you? What's, What's another one from you? Okay, last but not least. All right, so um, I think um, we've talked enough um, by now about uh, the acclaimed director Martin Scorsese and his views on Marvel movies. And we we all know the story, blah, blah, blah. They're theme park movies, blah, blah, blah. It's not real cinema, blah, blah, blah. But... I have to, so I started thinking, how funny would it be to get on here and say, I want Martin to do a Marvel movie? And then I started thinking, okay, is there any Marvel movie that might, that he might actually do? Because uh, Martin just wouldn't do anything. There are just certain characters that, I mean, I just think that this director would definitely turn his nose at. And I started thinking, okay, well, is there a tragic story that that he would like? Because a lot of Martin's movies, he likes those kind of morally gray, tragic kind of characters. He does those kinds of things a lot. And so I was thinking, okay, who's a tragic character? And I was thinking about Wolverine, but I was like, man, dude, no, I don't think so. Because the the adamantium claws and the healing factor and all the other X-Men and all that, I just don't know if Martin would be down for that. So then I started thinking, was there something simpler, like a simpler character, something that's a little more kind of that maybe takes place in older times, like a setting that Martin would be comfortable with. And then it struck me and I was like, oh, my goodness. What if Martin Scorsese directed the Spider-Man Noir? What if there was a Spider-Man Noir movie, but Martin directed it? And I think that this is the kind of movie that he would love to do. And I know not everybody knows who Spider-Man Noir is. Uh, um, We got a glimpse of him in the uh, Spider-Man Spider-Verse movie that came out a few years ago. And he was voiced by Nicolas Cage, who did a great job in that film. Uh, But just to give a little background on what Spider-Man Noir is, it's this alternate universe version of Spider-Man. And this is why I think this would be perfect for Martin Scorsese. This takes place in New York 
like in the 1930s. So that's kind of the setting that we have. That's the backdrop that we have. This is perfect for Martin Scorsese. This is a time period that he's familiar with. This is a time period where I think he would know what kind of cinematographer to hire. I think he would have a vision for this. I think he would, uh, that that would totally fit his time period and he would like to cover it. This is about a Spider-Man that fights against the Green Goblin, but this isn't the Green Goblin flying around on a fly, on a flying bat and throwing mechanical bombs. Nope, this Green Goblin is a mob boss, and they call him the Goblin. He's not even really called the Green Goblin. They just call him the Goblin, and they call him that because of uh, what he does to people. He always gets his cut. He's always getting his money. He manipulates the town, and he runs the cops. He runs all of these people, and he's got these goons that are on his team, um, and they've all got different names. Uh, The Vulture is in his group, but this is not the Vulture that you know or, or that most people are familiar with with. This vulture is actually a cannibal. He eats people. And that's kind of one of the ways that the goblin victimizes people is like people who don't pay him and stuff like that. Well, the vulture gets hungry and the vulture feeds on you. Uh, And it's a great story. It's really just a very bare bones type of story about this. um, And it's still Peter Parker. um, And and he does still get bitten by a spider and sort of gets these powers and everything. But Uncle Ben is basically a victim of the Goblin's mob gang and everything like that. And Uncle Ben was kind of opposed to the Goblin and winds up actually getting fed to the vulture, which you kind of find that, which everybody thinks he was ravaged by animals, but through the story, it's kind of revealed that the vulture ate him and shit. But I think that this is totally a story that Martin Scorsese could do as much as he doesn't like comic book stories and movies and stuff. I think with that backdrop and setting, he would definitely have a great time with this. There's, um, when you read the comic books, there's a part in the comic books where there's another character, the um, our media character, who's kind of tied in with the Goblin, Ben Urich, who's who's also just a prominent character in Marvel stories and stuff like that. He works for the Daily Bugle, which the Daily Bugle is also in this universe. Um, and there's a part where he's talking to Peter, and he's kind of going over all the different mob members and w- what their names are and what they've done and why how they're affiliated with the Goblin and he's kind of explaining to Peter Parker who just got hired with the Daily Bugle the inner workings of this gang and what he knows about these people and stuff and I mean I know that that was a scene that Martin Scorsese would love to do because he's done it in countless movies I can think of Goodfellas where he's running down the different mob members oh this is Paulie and this is Tony and this is this person and they all do this and they all do that I mean a lot of mob movies that he's done or been a part of he loves to do that montage where he just names off all of these different mob members and what their names are and stuff like that he even did a version of that in the Irishman so when I was reading that in the comic book I was like oh my god Martin would jump all over that he would have a lot of fun with that scene and explaining who these people are and different things like that and it pretty much is just a bare bones story about 
about Peter Parker um, wanting to do something about the goblin, but nobody's there to help. His uncle is killed. He wants to do something, but he can't. And then the whole thing happens with the bitten by a spider thing. But it's different in this. It's not a radioactive spider from gamma radiation or experiments and stuff. It's actually more spiritual than that. Like there are these ancient like artifacts or whatever that are being smuggled in and there are these spiders that are kind of uh, got smuggled in with these artifacts and stuff and it's almost like this sort of spiritual thing happens when he gets bit and like some sort of energy is transferred and that's kind of how he gets his powers and the way they describe it in the, the comic even Parker is kind of like I don't know how I got these powers I'm not sure what this is there's got to be a scientific explanation but all I know is I have power and I have a responsibility to stop a goblin and try to do something about the goblin's hold on this city. And of course, it's just a play on the great power, great responsibility deal. But not to say too much about the story, but essentially, you know what you got here. It's Spider-Man going up against this group. And there's and this comic was pretty violent. There's people getting shot. There's a club called the Black Cat and Felicia Hardy who is the black cat in this she's a club owner where they where they come and they're dancers and stuff and she owns this club or this bar called the black cat so I think that was a nice transition to kind of tie in that character and you still got a May and in this May is like a is like a political activist and she's always talking about how you know revolting against the uh, rebelling against Goblin and all this stuff and these bad people got a hold on the city and we need to rise up above it. So you've got that political element in there. And all of this just seemed like things that I know Martin Scorsese as a director would love. Would, I think he could do something with this. I think he could tell this story well. I think he would develop the mob members well. His protagonist, Spider-Man, I think he could do a good Spider-Man in this time period. And even if he doesn't like all of the comic booky stuff, like the powers and stuff, which there's not much of it, he could iron some of that out, make it a little more practical and things like that. This Spider-Man is wears an all-black suit with a trench coat and carries a pistol. So, I mean, this is definitely something more practical where I think Martin wouldn't turn his nose up at this. I think he could make this a fun story. He could make it dark and kind of very no arish like what it is. And I think he could actually uh, bring that story to life and do that story justice, despite his feelings on comic book films. I was very curious about what character, because we talked about this a little bit when we were, you know, pitching the idea of what would be what, or, you know, the idea of what this episode would be and stuff. And I thought about it and I was like, what characters could Martin Scorsese direct an MCU film of? And Spider-Man Noir was not one of the ones I originally thought of because I was trying to keep it just what would be in the MCU. And Gotcha. So I came up with, you know, I was thinking Daredevil, as long as you don't get into the hand aspect of it with all the ninjas and the supernatural and all this other stuff, but very much a la the first season of Daredevil on Netflix, where it's just mob shit with the kingpin and Daredevil trying to take that down. I could see a version yeah. of that. Um, technically, you could involve Moon Knight. 
I wouldn't necessarily want to see that because I don't think he would do Moon Knight justice. But you could, being a very street-level character, lots of violence, um, his first appearance and his first main villain in a lot of stuff, his first main actual villain with stuff was this thing called the Council. You know, kind of some mob-type shit there. You know, technically he fought a werewolf, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but like I said, I don't think he would really get that character, but he could do a version of it, I suppose. To me, the first one I thought of was the Punisher, or that I thought would really work was the Punisher. That's very much in his wheelhouse. No superpowers, mm-hmm. just yeah, mob shit. Bones. Yeah, yeah. Mob kills his family, he kills them. Like that type of shit. That's very much the type of shit Martin Scorsese could do. But we were talking, and I told you all this before, you know, the podcast. And you were like, no, it's none of those. And I was like, what the fuck? How could it not be any of those? And then, yeah, I did think, oh, then Spider-Man Noir. Like, that's the, that's the only other one it could be. Like, I, you know, I didn't think of that because, like I said, I was picturing something in the MCU or, you know, just the main continuity of Marvel shit, you know, not any of their side stuff. But, yeah, as soon as you shut down all those, I was like, no, it's got to be that then. Like, there's just nothing else it would be, like, to really capture yeah. what Martin would be good at. The only other thing it could be was, yeah, Spider-Man Noir. You know, you can get gritty, violent, mob level, like ground level shit. And that's what he would uh, excel at, you know? Yeah. And they could be rated R. way better than the Joker. What? probably would, man. Oh, and I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. I thought you had finished your sentence on that. (laughs) No, no, I did. I was just, yeah, I was just acting like I didn't say it. Um, But no, I mean, my question is, though, would you, would you have Nicolas Cage back? Man, that's a good question. I mean, he's younger in the comic book series, but why couldn't you have Nicolas Cage do it? But he doesn't have to be. He could be older. You know, you could do have an older Parker who is an adult. He's seen a lot of this already and they're tired of it. And maybe, you know, his uncle dies when he's a little bit older and he becomes Spider-Man. I mean, he doesn't necessarily have to be young Spider-Man for that to work, honestly. Might even be better if he's not, because this would definitely be rated R. I mean, this is a this is an R rated Spider-Man, you know, which I mean, you know. Well, all right. If you don't want to go older, I was just thinking Nicolas Cage because he, I think, did a fantastic job being the voice of that character. Yeah. And, you know, he did. He really did. Um, But so if you wanted to go outside of that, I mean, a 22 year old actor. I mean, who would you choose? It would be really fucking trippy if it was Tom Holland again. That would like, be crazy. Blow your mind. Yeah, that would blow my mind, dude. Would he do a great job? Of course he would. But man, that would be crazy. That would be because insane. he's technically in that age range. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he is. He's right there where it would still work. You know. I'm just trying to think of who would be like in that age range that would possibly be able to pull that off. I'm trying to think too, man, who else is kind of young, but like good, you know what I mean? Cause you'd have to be good. This is, I mean, he sees a lot of tragedy because you know, and this is spoilers for the comics. So if you don't want the comics spoiled, but for some reason you haven't read them though, they're like what eight, nine, almost 10 years old now, I think maybe. But if you haven't read them, like he, there's a, there's hella death in this. I mean, like Uncle Ben dies, of course, but like, uh, you know, the news anchor dies. Jay Jonah is a turncoat and he dies. And, you know, there's a lot that happens 
in Spider-Man Noir, and it's like way heavier than the regular Spider-Man. So you would still need an actor who could do that. You know what I mean? I think I got one. Um, who? Jess, I don't know if you know who this is, but Sterling, Chance Perdomo, um, Ambrose from Sabrina. Um, yeah. I think he would do a great job. No, he would be good. The only, the one I thought of, which it would really kind of depend on, you know, just what he, I mean, I, I've seen hints of it, but I don't know if it would be complete, if it would completely work. One that I thought of would be, uh, Michael, what's his name? Uh, Angarano or something like that. The kid from Sky High, essentially. Hmm. Um, okay. Or what's his name? Josh, what, Hutcherson or whatever from the Hunger Games? Yeah. The one that wasn't Liam's, Liam Hemsworth, the other one? Mm-hmm. He might work as that. I mean, fuck, yeah, Liam Hemsworth he might, might. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. He might work as that too. And maybe like for some of those other characters like Nick Cage, if if he couldn't be Noir, he'd make a good Ben Urwick, I think. I think he could do that. The he'd kind make a of, good Green Goblin. Yeah. Ooh, or yeah, the Goblin. That's another character who you could, as Scorsese would go anywhere, could go a lot of different places with that person. He like, would be a good Goblin. Um, Jackie Earl Haley would be a good Vulture. Oh yeah. Yeah. I I would kind of see I would I would want to see what's his name back as Ulrich. Um the guy from Daredevil that did it. Um Yeah, the black guy. Yeah. No, yeah. no. Well, he would work too. I was actually talking about from the movie. Um he played oh. the bald guy in the Matrix that betrayed the team. Um he's the captain in Bad Boys. Uh Yeah, him. Okay. Okay. He, he, I mean, either version, either cinematic version of Ulrich would be good. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. The, the, the guy from Daredevil, he'd be a fantastic Ulrich in this too. Yeah. Um, he was really good. And you would have to, you would just have to have J. Jonah Jameson be J.K. Simmons again. Yeah, you would just have to have him be, yeah, yeah. It's just no one else can play J. Jonah Jameson ever again. It's, it's J.K. Simmons forever. Pretty much. It's got to be. You know, and then you got the chameleon in there and there's this whole like twist thing where you think someone's dead, but then it's the chameleon. It's a great story, man. And I just know Martin Scorsese. I just think he would know what to do with that because this is not so just impractical that I think he would just get turned off by it. You know, it's it's very just a simple bare bones story, but it's a well-told story. And yeah, I just think it's totally in his wheelhouse, despite what he thinks, you know. <laughs> and then you can have what's this? Uh, you know who should come back as Aunt May? Because I didn't think she got a fair shake. Would be Sally Field can come back as Aunt May. Oh, she yeah. She's good, yeah. Because I don't think yeah. she got a fair shake in the Amazing Spider-Man movies. So she can come back and play the political activist Aunt May. I think she could still yeah. do it. She got it. And I think she could do that. Yeah, I think she could totally do that for sure. How do you feel about Nick Jonas for that character? <laughs> that one character. Nick Jonas would be amazing. Right? He's a really good actor and kind of underrated at it. Yeah. I think And he's that, that age-ish. Yeah. And he's ripped. Yep. Just that muscles on muscles. <laughs> and you could even have some jokes in it. Like he could do the scene where they're like, he tries to talk all weirdly intimidating and they're like, you just sound weird. Talk normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I, I think that that is a possibility because like I said, like 
once I got rid of the weird artificial constraints I had of just thinking straight Marvel timeline, like I said, the, the first thing instantly at that point was Spider-Man Noir. Plus, I know you and any chance you yeah. get to do anything with Spider-Man Noir, you'd probably take a chance at it. Yes, <laughs> because I freaking love that story. <laughs> and and it's just it is fitting that with Martin Scorsese, you know, it's it's not you shoehorning him into that. It would fit, but it would be out of his comfort zone to do a comic movie. Yeah. So it kind of fits both ways. You yeah. play to Martin Scorsese's strengths, but still take him out of his comfort zone. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to do with this exercise. And I feel like we all did that in our own way. But even you, you know, even though you didn't think of the same movie, you were definitely thinking in the same wavelength. It can't be anything too spiritual or out there or lasers and bombs and all of that stuff. We, we both kind of thought the same thing. He's not going to want to do any of that. He's not going to want big sparkles and mind control powers and all of that stuff. It can't be any, anybody like that. It's got to be, like we said, bare bones. And if you can have some mob shit in there, oh man, he, he would get down on that. And if it's a, more of a simplistic story, but it's got some of those comic book elements where he can take some liberties and kind of tell his own story, he could do it, you know, and we both definitely thought that way with some of your choices, like the Punisher and stuff that that's, you know, we definitely thought on the same wavelength, you know, I mean, because when you did your Facebook post about it, I'm not going to call anybody up. The one thing I had issues with, though, were people that, yes, they technically followed the game plan of taking somebody out of their comfort zone, but you have to be realistic about it because you know, there are people saying like Quentin Tarantino doing like a, like a Disney princess movie or something like, or Eli Roth doing a kid's movie or something like that. I get that it's a weird juxtaposition, but the thing is, is the things you would like about those, the, the things you like about those directors would be completely stripped away. So yeah. it wouldn't be the same. Like you're not going to, you know, Eli Roth has done a kid's movie. The last movie he did was uh, uh, the house with the clock in its walls. Um, I know not a lot of people saw it. It's it's actually okay. But, you know, it, it did it have to be Eli Roth? No. Did Eli Roth did a good job? Yeah, sure. But you're nobody's going to get sit there and say, oh, that's a quintessential Eli Roth movie. You know, with, with Quentin Tarantino, you like the interesting dialogue. You like, I mean, you have to like the vulgarities. That's a huge part of a Quentin Tarantino movie is the vulgarities. You yeah. know, it's, it's the conversation. It's the violence. You know, it's, the hyper stylized version of the violence and stuff like that. You're not going to get that in a Disney movie, you know, at all. You're not even <laughs> yeah. going to be able to do the dialogue that he does in his movies. Yeah. You know, that's all going to be stripped away. Yeah. All of that would be stripped away. And I do think, yeah. And I, and I forget who it was, but even somebody, and this was another one that I was kind of like, well, like he said, Michael Bay, and he named this anime for Michael Bay. And I know y'all don't care about anime shit, but like the anime that he, but just to say something briefly about it, like he said, oh, Michael Bay could do the explosions for this guy when he blows people up and stuff like that. But the anime that he talked about is a satire. It's a satire of like the typical 
anime tropes. And that's the whole thing with that anime series that he named One Punch Man. It's 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 making fun of the anime tropes and stuff like that. So I would think you would need a director who's good at satire. Like you would want somebody who specializes in that, not a Michael Bay who's more of just like the bare bones, like straight action explosions. I just don't see him being able to do a satire like. Well, he'd visually be able to handle it, but he wouldn't be able to handle the actual story. Yeah, he just wouldn't be able to handle that story. You would need somebody who's intuitive, who's done, who who at least would be comfortable with those with those types of themes and would understand why this is funny or why this is happening. And like you said, like, yeah, a bay could only do the visuals, you know. So, yeah. But anyway, I digress. I mean, you, you would have to be able to blend it because. There are rumors out there that Quentin Tarantino wants to direct Star Trek four of the new universe and shit like that. And he's got a script and everything. And he's even said, this is Pulp Fiction in space is what he said the movie would be. And I I would like to see that movie. But the thing is with it is it's taking him out of his comfort zone because in no way, shape or form has he done anything close to something sci-fi like that. And so it works in that regard. But it would on the flip side has to have elements of what Quentin Tarantino is you know he's it he, you know if it's not going to be rated r and all this other stuff what's the point of having quentin tarantino do it if he has to take <laughs> yeah. away everything that he does in his movies to make a movie what's the point like does anybody else here realize that quentin tarantino once wrote an episode of er no because it doesn't matter because hmm. <laughs> it's it wasn't like this hyper you know what i mean it wasn't quentin tarantino he did it because he's friends with george clooney you know like that's what he did and so by doing that, it, you, you, you take away what you love about him. Does anybody really want to see a completely stripped down, sanitized version of a Quentin Tarantino movie? <laughs> no. Exactly. No. You have yeah. to play into their strengths, but still change the medium in which it is. You know? Yeah. Pulp Fiction and in space is outside of Quentin Tarantino's comfort zone, but still plays to his strengths. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say. You can see the ingredients, at least there where he could where he could come in and do something with that like Star Trek there are all these different interesting characters so and, and he likes a, a high character palette he likes to take all these different characters and make them appealing in their own way or tell this story about the dichotomy of these characters or how they all mesh together and stuff like that we've seen him have these groups of characters like the Hateful Eight or Reservoir Dogs and he's able to somehow make each of them stand out in their own way and kind of connect to this story. And Star Trek, there are some ingredients to do that. Like you could see him being able to use Spock and Kirk and all them. Like you could see all these characters, him being able to take those elements and add something to them. But like in a Disney movie, how would he be able to do that? You know what I mean? Like at least in the Star Trek and yes, he, we've already got, you've already confirmed that he's written something like that but even still if he hadn't and you pitched that idea at least i could see how tarantino might be able to do that you know yeah and it's like what you were saying with martin scorsese is it completely out of his comfort zone no but you just have to play into what he does well yeah like i don't i don't i wouldn't want to see martin scorsese handle something like iron man like i don't think (laughs) he'd get the character 
No, he wouldn't. Yeah. You know, he like you said, the second you have like a laser beam, he wouldn't understand what the fuck's going on. Exactly. He'd be like, what the hell is this? Or like whiplash. Just imagine him trying to do Iron Man too. He would just be so mad. <laughs> exactly. Like, or Thor. Martin Scorsese directing Thor. He'd oh, be like, God. Wait, his hammer does what? Yep. <laughs> it, would, it, it would suck so bad. Yes. You know? Oh, my God. Play into God. his strengths, but still you could do it to where you can have a few fantastical elements here and there, you know? I mean, but if you really think about it, Spider-Man Noir is Dick Tracy with Spider-Man. Basically, yes. A violent yes. Dick Tracy hmm. with Spider-Man. So, yeah, yep. Martin Scorsese can handle that. Mm-hmm. Play into his strengths, but take him out of his comfort zone with the actual subject matter. Like I said, that's why Punisher would work, too. Plays into his strengths. You know, you want to see that mob mentality, that that mafia uh, uh, essence to it. You want to see that violence. You want to see the overuse of the word fuck randomly. You want to <laughs> see all those elements. Yeah. His hammer does what? Exactly. <laughs> that was so great. That, that I could that that is I could see his face as he says that. <laughs> his hammer. Wait, what right. a minute, what? It would I could be totally his face from that, that Coke commercial where he's trying to text Jonah Hill to get him to come to the party. And he's like looking <laughs> around the party all confused and lonely. That's what he would look yes. like directing a Thor movie. Yeah. <laughs> He would just be looking around waiting for Jonah Hill to come rescue him. You know, it's you, you just you have to play into his strengths, you know, and if you're not going to do that, you're going to lose what makes that director special. That's all I'm saying. Just play into it. I mean, like, look at something like Gangs of New York that we already talked about. Gangs of New York, different time period, all this other stuff. And Martin Scorsese was able to handle it because it had elements of what he handles well, like that mob gang mentality. Mm hmm. He it had that. So that transition still works. It doesn't work if he does Guardians of the Galaxy, because anytime you have to do CGI and you've got a fucking, you know, man in a green suit standing there filling in for a character. He's like, wait, that's a what? (laughs) That's a a raccoon. (laughs) (laughs) He talks and and carries a weaponry. Why? (laughs) And and there's a talking tree. Why is the tree? What happened to this tree to where it's alive? You know, he just wouldn't get it. Why does the Why does the tree only say "I am Groot"? (laughs) Yeah, why can he? Can he? Is it that because he was traumatized? Like, could he? Could he not say it? I want to see somebody. I want to see somebody sit there and explain to him that his race of people over time their vocal cords harden to where the only thing they can say is "I am Groot." I want to sit there and somebody explain to him the comic book logic. That's what Just I want to do. Just the puzzled look on his face. I want to get a hold of Martin Scorsese and where we just read comic books together. And then I have to explain to him comic book logic. <laughs> that would be just a great YouTube series. Just explaining comic book stuff to him and him just going, what the hell is this crap? Like that would just be, that would be, I would watch that. I will watch it because his reactions would be priceless. He would just be so mad that he had to listen to this. Like, <laughs> be like, you know, just reading a comic book with him. And he'd be like, wait, didn't that character die? I was like, yeah, but he came back. He'd be like, how? You know, with comic book shit. Magic. <laughs> with comic book logic. I mean, half the time they come back with comic book logic. They just randomly appear again one day and everybody <laughs> acts like they never left. Right. Like, 
the nine times out of ten, that's what happened. Like, I want to read something like the death of Superman with him when they're like, all right, Superman gets punched to death. But don't worry, he's not really dead. He's in a Kryptonian regeneration character or chamber (laughs) and he grows a mullet. But while he's doing that, one aspect of his power set became this, I think the Eradicator or whatever the fuck that character was. And yes, he wears yellow, a yellow, you know, sunglasses and shoots lasers now. I know Superman never did it, but part of him does now. And then there's a robot (laughs) cyborg Superman that acts like he's good, but he's not. And then there's a man who Superman saved his life once. So he makes a steel suit out of himself and becomes a version of Superman with a hammer. I know another hammer. And then (laughs) there's another version of Superman. That's now a teenage boy that wears a leather jacket. Got it. And action. (laughs) Yeah. I just, that'd be the funnest thing in the world to explain to him. And he would just be like, so one guy turns into five guys. Like, you know, he would just be so mad. Comic book yeah. logic. <laughs> because he got punched really hard by a guy who can't die the same way twice. Yes, that means he comes back to life every time. Oh, man. I want to do that so bad. <laughs> I want to explain to him like about the older Green Lanterns, about how their powers were negated by wood, because that makes sense. Or <laughs> later after, you know, the encounter with Parallax and Sinestro, their powers were sometimes negated by the color yellow, because that makes sense. I just want to explain all of it to him. Imagine trying to explain Deadpool to him. Like he's, so he knows that he's in a comic book and he knows that this is a story and he can break the fourth wall anytime. But then we're supposed to believe this character is in peril at any given point. You know, like he just, he, would hate some of these characters. Like he would just, I just feel like he would just hate them. (laughs) Maybe this is why he hates them. This is the untold story. We don't know. Somebody tried to explain these characters to him and he just got so (laughs) mad that he went on that interview and said that we just caught him after this happened to him. This is what happened to him. I'm convinced now there's no other better story than this. This is what Mm -hmm. happened to him. Or maybe he got tired of like DC rebooting its universe 97 times a year. Like he's like, I started reading it and then they just rebooted it again. I don't know what to do. (laughs) You know, and maybe that's what we need to do. Or the fact that like Superman has just a bunch of animals, Superman and Batman just have a bunch of animals and people that are all themed after him. Like Crypto the Super Dog (laughs) or Batmite. Maybe that's what broke him. Maybe that's what broke Martin Scorsese, Batmite. <laughs> or maybe mix a bit of like, oh, that'd be a great one, explaining a, like an otherworldly fourth dimensional being <laughs> that's practically a god. Or maybe the superhero logic that really broke him is what broke has broken a lot of people. Why nobody realizes that Superman is just Clark Kent without glasses. Oh, God. <laughs> right. like, so he just takes off his glasses? What? <laughs> I mean, and they have explained that to the co- in the comics. Uh, at least I know once they have. It's something like uh, part of his Kryptonian DNA makes it to where he changes the way people perceive him. Hmm. Like, so they don't, they can't, pers- based on his DNA or whatever, they can't perceive him as Clark and Superman at the same time unless they know it's true. Yeah, explain that to Martin. <laughs> yeah, if you know that Clark and him are the same person, you can perceive them as the same person, but if you don't, then you can't. Something like that. Or like weird things like gold kryptonite. I think gold kryptonite turns everything animated. 
So somehow in a comic book, everything becomes animated. Yeah. Weird shit like that. That's why Martin Scorsese says he hates us. <laughs> At least me. <laughs> All right. Anything else, guys? No, I'm good. That's I think a great we covered ending. some good ones. Yeah, we did. All right. I'll save more for later. I spent a lot of energy on Johnny Depp. All right, guys. So thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of The Simple Slayers. Check us out on the internet at Check us out Cinema Slayers podcast on Facebook, Cinema underscore Slayers on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, let us know uh, what kind of topics or movies or anything like that you want us to review while we're all pretty much the country's under lockdown because it's not like movies are really coming out. So, uh, yeah, if something comes out on our streaming service or maybe there's something we missed that you want us to do an episode on or something like that because we have done a couple of those, some like listener request episodes and stuff like that. So, you know, let us know any of that and, you know, we're, Totally open to doing all kinds of crazy to- and fun topics and bonus episodes and all this other shit because we've you know, got time on our hands and shit now. So let us know any of that. And, uh, you know, maybe one day Martin Scorsese will direct a Moon Knight movie. And according to Justin, it will automatically win the best picture. Wow, this might be the first time in history I don't really have a song to go out with. I'm sorry, Martin, that comic books don't make any sense. Ta-da. I'm not sorry.